This week we are finishing up our series, our vision series for spring of 2017. So far we've covered the first four words of the vision statement, and this week we'll cover the last two words. So our vision statement is up on the wall, reach up, rise up, reach out. And uh, the reason we have a vision statement is so that we can all work together to get some things done. It's very important for Christians to work together. And I have hand motions for the vision statement. The reason I have hand motions for the vision statement is because it's completely meaningless and irrelevant. And if we can work together on something meaningless and irrelevant, perhaps God would use us to do something more significant. But if we can't even work together on something meaningless and irrelevant, then we're done. We're all just going to run our different ways and we'll hopefully not make too much of a mess of things. But if we can work together on a few things, then we can get some stuff done. And so the vision statement, reach up, rise up, reach out. This is what Good Hope Church is all about, is to reach up like this, rise up is like this, and reach out is like that. Let's do the hand motions together. Reach up, rise up. Reach out. What a wonderful group you are. And you're very talented as well. So nice work. Nice work. Uh, reach up. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. You can have a real relationship with the living God. I've got a few verses we didn't actually cover earlier that we're going to do in the recap time, but that's all right. John 1, 10 through 13. This is reach up. He was in the world. That's Jesus. This is John in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. He's basically telling the, uh, the story of Jesus coming to the earth in a different way than the other Gospels do. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So Jesus was there at creation, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and part of the whole thing. And then he came here, condescended, they say, to become a man, to be part of what's going on and to, uh, to live the life as an example and to die in our place. He came here to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those, because Jesus was rejected. But he wasn't rejected by everyone. He was rejected by the culture as a whole. But he wasn't rejected by everyone. What's the situation today in the United States? Jesus is rejected. But he's not rejected by everyone. Amen? He's not rejected by everyone. There are those who receive him. Who reach up and initiate a relationship with him. Who reach up and maintain a relationship with him. Yet to all who received him. To those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. I just the right to be children of God. It's, a, it's given to us as a right. Children born not of natural descent. Nor of human decision or a husband's will. But born of God. A child of God with that inheritance. As we read John 1, it's interesting because it isn't that God rejects people. You know, Jesus was rejected. It's not that Jesus came to the earth to reject people. 
He came to the earth to see who would accept him. And he was rejected. It isn't that God rejects people. The door is always open. People reject a relationship with God. We can reach up. The door is open. Have that real relationship with the living God. Rise up. Romans 8, 12 through 14. Romans 8. So we're going to rise up out of the junk holding us down into who God made us to be. Rise up. A real relationship with the living God will change you. Therefore, brothers. So when it says brothers, it means fellow Christians. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. So you don't have to live according to the sinful nature. You have no obligation to do that. Verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. So we are brought into a relationship where we are children of God. And then we are led by the spirit of God, not led by our sinful nature. So we rise up out of being led by our sinful nature, our selfishness and pride and all the other things, our misconceptions and confusions. And we are brought into wisdom and victory and being led by the Holy Spirit of God. Children of God have an obligation to live according to the spirit. And of course, the rise up part is the part that, you know, you, you read a lot of slogan, church slogans and vision statements and stuff, and the you get better part isn't in there. You know, there's other stuff in there, which is good, but the you get better part isn't in there. And that's the thing for us that's really, really important. Let's us get better at this. Because being bad at being a Christian is a very frustrating life, and it hurts other people. So let's get good at it. Very important. Rise up. It's the place where our lives get better. So why rise up? You know, hey, hopefully you want your life to get better. I hope you're excited about your life getting better. That's a good thing. But the other reason that we rise up is because there is work to be done and God needs strong people. Amen. There is work to be done and God needs strong people. So that brings us to part three. Reach out. Let's pray and we'll get into new material this morning. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for each one here. And I pray, Lord, that you would just bless our time as each one of us is going through different things and we're fighting different parts of the battle and we're in different places of the progression. And so, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would touch each one of us with exactly what we need this morning, that you would just uh, reach down and help us to believe in you better, to trust you more, to overcome darkness and to walk in your ways more effectively. Lord, open our eyes and help us to see. Bless our time. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen. Reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. Let me ask you this simple question. Is this world messed up? Perhaps one of the most important things you will ever do in your life is 
understand how to interpret the fact that this world is messed up? How am I going to respond to the fact that this world is messed up? This is one of the most important things you're going to do in your life is Learn how to respond the right way to the fact that this world is messed up. We can uh, sit in our little groups and complain about it. Yet this world is messed up. You know, we can figure out who to blame. It's because of them. Or we can see things the way Jesus saw things. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was going to, from place to place. He was meeting very important needs. And he saw that in the world it was messed up. The people were harassed and helpless. Now you might think that the United States today is a rough place to live. In Jesus' day, if you said something they didn't like, they crucified you. They didn't just unlike you on Facebook. You know? Now you get unliked and cry for two days. They would kill you. I mean, it was, it was not so good. This is a great world we live in. Not perfect. Lots of pain. All that stuff. But guess what? We've got first world problems. The harassed and helpless people that Jesus saw were in much worse shape than we are. So he said, man, this world's messed up. What was his response? Verse 37. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful. (laughs) What does that mean? The harvest is plentiful. It means, wow, are there lots of opportunities to make this better? There's so many places we can make this a better world. The harvest is plentiful. Look at all the things that could get better. There's so many things are in such bad condition. There's so many possible things we could do. The harvest is plentiful. If we look at a messed up world and we think, wow, look at all the opportunities to help people. (laughs) They're everywhere. Look at all the families that need help. Look at all the individuals that need help. Look at all the churches that need help. Look at all the people that need help in this world. The people that don't know God. All the people that need help. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So Jesus looks at the messed up world and says, there's a lot of need. There's a lot of opportunity to help. And he doesn't then blame them. He doesn't then go back with his disciples, you know, the 12 of us. And we're like, oh yeah, they're all a bunch of messed up goofballs. You know, let's talk about how bad they are. He's like, we need to find more people to help because there's too much for us to do. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We need more people to help. Verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the Lord of the harvest, of course, is 
God Almighty, we ask God to send workers into the harvest field. That's why it's so exciting when new churches get planted in in anywhere, but in Cloquet. If we're praying to the Lord of the harvest to send workers because there's more needs than what we can handle, and then Vineyard comes and plants a church, what do we do? We rejoice because our prayers have been answered. You know, hallelujah, more workers in the harvest field. We need probably 10, 15 more churches in Cloquet. Probably 10, 15. Well, if we get to 15, then we'll figure out if we need more. But till then, let's not worry about it. Let's just keep bringing new ones in. Amen. Let's keep there. There aren't enough seats in this area for everybody to have a place in the churches. We need more churches. We need more workers in the harvest field. Now, Jesus does send people. Let's go to Luke 10, 2 and 3. Luke chapter 10. This is kind of the, along the same lines, but it was a different scenario. It wasn't the same day. So Jesus mentioned this more than once. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. (laughs) Have you ever had where you're praying for something to happen and then God says, all right, you do it. You want, you know, Lord, send somebody, have somebody help in this situation. And then God's like, I will. And it's you. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So Jesus is saying it's not all easy. When we go out to serve the Lord, it can be a battle. You're sent out like lambs among wolves. There's two types of believers. There's the ones who are sent and there are the ones who are parts of the body different parts of the body, but everyone has a role to play an obligation. You might say from Romans eight that we read earlier, everyone has a role to play. Let's look at the great commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the great commission. Now this was after Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples paid attention to what Jesus had to say before he was crucified. How much do you think they paid attention after he rose from the dead? I mean, man, this was after he rose from the dead. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Apparently so. You rose from the dead. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a big job. Amen. Go make disciples of all nations. And some of the translations, go make disciples of all of the nations. It isn't don't discriminate, it's reach everyone. Go make disciples of all of the nations. All the nations that exist on the earth, go make disciples in all of them. And baptize them and teach them to obey all of the teachings of Christ. That's a big job. That's not up to you individually. 
not up to you personally. Now, this is a bigger thing than personal evangelism. Personal evangelism is part of the Great Commission, where you share Christ with your friends and neighbors and people that you meet. That's significant. But what Jesus is talking about in the Great Commission is a global, organized evangelism and discipleship movement. Amen? A global, organized evangelism and discipleship movement. Not just a few people doing what they feel like doing and talking to people over coffee. A global, organized evangelism and discipleship movement. It's a big, big deal. Now, this takes the whole body of Christ. Amen? Any weak, missing, or injured part of the body hurts the effort. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, 26 through 27. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Jesus is talking to the church in Corinth, and he's saying to them, because they were dealing with division, you know, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. And they're all arguing with each other about who's more legit to follow and who they like better. And Paul is telling them, no, 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 no. The, the kingdom of God is like a human body. Many different parts that are very, very different, but all working together as one. And so he's saying that there are all these different parts. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Have you ever had a toothache? And you're fine because just, you know, stupid tooth. You know, you just ignore it and live your life. Well, you got a toothache, you gotta, you got, your whole body suffers with it, right? I mean, it's bad things. We can have one part that's hurting, it affects everything. It's true with us physically. It's also true when it comes to this global, organized evangelism and discipleship movement. If there are parts that aren't working, it does damage to the whole. The more public parts when there's damage, like uh, if there's a significant uh falling of a minister anybody ever known of a a famous minister or a big important preacher did something stupid how much damage does that do does damage all over and then in different levels at different places got somebody who's supposed to show up for church and give somebody a hug they don't show up that person goes unhugged Maybe not quite as significant, but it's a big deal to that person. It might have made a huge difference to them. There's people come to church at crisis moments to see if God cares. If they get the hug, it might make a big difference. So if you just don't show up and then they don't get the hug, it can be, it can be a big deal. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Amen? So like if things are going good at church, we're all happy. 
If things are going well for the kingdom of God, we all rejoice. It's like we had the state wrestling tournament yesterday and day before. We had a kid get our heavyweight got second place. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, uh, and, and then Connor got fourth, you know, and Daniel got pinned right away. And that was fine. You know, it's all good. He had a wonderful experience, um, which is sort of what we expected to have happen. Though he was there, it was great. And, but Connor and, and Devin Reynolds both did way better than what they expected. And the other guys on the team weren't like, oh, great. Devin gets second. You know, I mean, everybody's excited, right? I mean, everybody's like freaking out. This is the best anybody's ever done in the history of the program at the state tournament. Like, it's amazing. Everybody is going crazy. When one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's how it needs to be in the body of Christ because of verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Understand, when you become a child of God, you have brothers and sisters. You have a family, and you have family obligations. When you grow up in a family, you know, Tuesday is my dishes day, or whatever it is. You have family obligations. If you're just like, forget it, man, I'm my own person. I'm not doing the dishes, then it hurts the family. You are the body of Christ. That's all y'all. Everybody is the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So don't think you don't belong. When I became a Christian, I was different. (laughs) I was not normal. I scared the Christian people when I went to church, and they were very nervous to have me around. And I would ask questions that I didn't realize would elicit the rather negative response. I thought it was just a question. I don't know the answer. I want to know the answer. And they'd get very, very nervous. And they were quite concerned. (laughs) Some of them are still. But, But the reality was I did belong. Even though I didn't fit in, I belonged. And it took me a while to figure out how to manage that and how to live that out. Um, But... The enemy may tell you, you don't belong. I remember as a brand new Christian, I knew about Christians and I thought, well, I'm not one of them. So what am I? You know what I mean? Because like now I believe in God, but I know I'm not one of them. So I thought I'm just a normal person that believes in Jesus. That's what I am. I'm a normal person that has accepted Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. Because I didn't think I fit into the Christian culture. But the reality is, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So I had to come in and be the part God wanted me to be. Don't feel the rejection of others and think I don't belong. Don't put rejection on others. Oh, they wear robes and light candles. They don't belong. Well, that's fine. Whatever. It's all good. They believe in Jesus too. They belong. All y'all are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Very important. Now, 
Any weak, missing, or injured part of the body hurts the effort. Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That breaks down when many parts of the body are missing or broken or offended. It breaks down because the work is left for those who remain. My yoke is easy and my burden is light is dependent on the concept of many hands make light work. It's us working together. In our world, we think of personal relationship with Jesus. One of the amazing things about the Lord's Prayer, when the disciples said, teach us how to pray, what's the first word in the Lord's Prayer? Our. He didn't teach them to pray an individual prayer, my. He taught them to, did I say preach? He didn't teach them to pray an individual prayer. He taught them to pray a corporate prayer. That's so foreign to our thinking that we should come together as a group and pray in unison and our prayer. We just don't do that in these types of circles. You know what I mean? I had a Lutheran, boy, I better not waste too much time. Come on, boy. All right, I'm going to tell this story anyway. I was talking to a Lutheran pastor years ago, and uh, we were talking about services and how we do things. And, and he said that he spent as much time working on the prayers for the service as he did on the sermon. And I was like, what? You spend as much time preparing the prayers as you do preparing this sermon, like it had never crossed my mind. I'm like, we just sort of pray. I mean, you know, we let her flow. We don't plan. And he said, well, you know, I, I really think prayer is important. And I want to pray over what I'm going to pray. And I want to I look at it. And I want to make sure it's right. And I want to I pray what God has me to pray. And I'm like, that's good. <laughs> I'm, I can appreciate that. You know, I'm not going to then now script out my prayers, but boy, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. In the old days of the assemblies of God, preaching with notes was considered unspiritual because you're just supposed to let it flow like we do prayer now. But now we can use notes and hallelujah for you guys. Because it would be pretty rough if I just got to do whatever. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light breaks down when the body separates, when parts are missing and when parts are hurting. Are you willing to do your part? What does that take? You guys are feeling good today, right? Feeling happy? That's that's great. It takes more than an entertainment mentality to fill your role in the body of Christ. A lot of service to God is investment. We don't get anything directly out of it immediately. There are meetings I go to. I go to pastor's meetings that are a boring, wandering waste of time. I'm serious but they're worth going to over and over again, because at the end of them, you have a relationship and you have a connection and you're able to be part of the body. 
If I just looked at, well, this hour was a waste of my time. I'm never doing that again. I would lose the opportunity to be part of something much more significant than a boring hour. And there's much of that in the body of Christ. A lot of times you're just wading through it. You know, fishers, we, we fish. A lot of times when you're fishing, nothing happens. But then it does happen and it's beautiful. Dave Williams talked about, as a pastor, I really like a lot, the three-legged stool of Christianity, the three things that we need to be able to be functioning effectively. We need to have our spiritual life in order. If we've got our spiritual life in order, we're developing spiritual gifts, we're growing in the spirit, then we have that leg. There's also the practical leg, the practical leg where, you know, you got to show up on time for stuff. You got to do your devotions, whatever, these different things, you know, the practical things, and then the attitudinal things. You have to have the right attitude. So if you're developing spiritually, practically, and attitudinally, then you're able to fill your role in the body of Christ. But if any one of those three is missing, then you're in trouble. It's true on very many levels. Now, don't panic. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't panic. But God is counting on you. Amen? Don't panic. God is counting on you. Here's the deal. God's plan isn't to get you to do everything, but to get everyone to do their part. God's plan isn't to get you to do everything. That, in fact, can be a temptation from the enemy to destroy you. God's plan isn't to get you to do everything, but to get everyone to do their part. If everyone does their part, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, we work together, get things done. All right. What things could we do just through good hope if we work together in our service to Christ? What could we do? Well, what has already happened? You know, we're six and a half years into this thing. And some things have happened. I got some slides from the annual business meeting that was a few weeks ago. Um, Let's look at the attendance slide from the history of the church uh, for Good Hope. 2010, average of 70, which was a fun time. And then pretty steady growth. 2016 average 350. Not too bad. You know, God is reaching people, growing people, helping people through Good Hope Church. And this, of course, is a kind of a shallow statistic, but there's something behind it which is significant, which is lives being touched, lives being changed. Another statistic uh, is our giving. You know, at Good Hope 10% of the undesignated giving goes to missions. So we tithe out of the general fund to our missions program. Then we also have special offerings. We had a missions convention, did uh, faith promises. And so our total of the the 10th tithe of the general fund and then other special giving, that came to, in 2016, $80,739. That's how much was given out to other organizations through Good Hope Church just last year. $80,000. That's fantastic. 
All kinds of different things have happened. VBS, small groups. We had the strong men come. Um, working with the children's home. We got the youth conference coming up. Pretty excited about that. What else is coming up in the future? Well, I see continued work with New Vision, the New Vision Children's Home in Christiana, Jamaica. Uh, tremendous opportunities there. Um, I could see a sponsorship program, a child sponsorship program work out fantastically well. If they got $100 per child per month, it would pay all of the bills of the children's home. Not some of the bills, completely 100% everything the government does not pay, it would pay everything. $100 a month per kid. It's amazing the economy over there and the way things work. The director gets $500 a month. Full-time, six days a week, gets to leave the place one day a week. $500 a month. Child sponsorship program would change that. Um, I would need a champion for that. A champion is somebody who takes on a particular ministry. That's the role I have in the body of Christ. I would need a champion for that to happen. Otherwise, it's going to go... It's just going to sit there. Now, how about that church growth curve? Wasn't that neat? There's an implication with that. And that is that if we are going to maintain that basic growth pattern, it's going to start getting crowded. I've got two plans. Plan number one, sit towards the center, leave room on the outside. All right, that could save the church $2 million. Because if people don't sit towards the center, then you have to build new buildings in order to grow the next level. But if they sit towards the center, then there's places for people to go. And so just sitting next to someone could save the church $2 million. Isn't that amazing? Is that, is that worth it? <laughs> I think it's a significant thing. You know, sometimes something's not hard, but it makes a big difference. Some things aren't hard, but they make a big difference. Because, you know, everybody's standing up, it looks like there's nowhere to sit. You know, if you come in when everybody's standing up, you're like, oh, we're supposed to go. Well, if everybody scooches this way, you go around the outside, you find your spot. Easy. People feel comfortable. They'll come to church. The other thing is, since before Good Hope started, I'm going to have the ushers come forward. We're going to hand out the communion elements while I'm telling this last thing because we got to get, uh, do I have communion people? Fantastic. The communion teams could come forward. Uh, this is the first weekend of the month. And so we have communion. We remember what Jesus has done. And uh, if you want to take communion at Good Hope, just go ahead and take communion. Uh, we don't check anything like that. But what we want is for you to make this real between you and God, not something that, other, you know, that you're worried about what somebody next to you or whatever. So you just go ahead. Nah, you can pass if you want. But if you're going to take communion, make it real between you and the Lord. Something that is significant and that you take seriously. But if our church growth curve is going to continue, you've got two options. Build bigger barns or invest in the kingdom. And Something I've seen in my spirit since before we even started at Good Hope is campus 
development, starting campus churches. And basically what that means is, is that uh, when you start a church, usually the church planter or the pastor has to uh, preach, lead worship, do youth group, uh, write the bylaws, run board meetings, uh, figure out all the insurance and legal issues that come with organizational management, figure out how to maintain systems for, you know, children's church and uh, who can volunteer for what and all this stuff. And there's a, a gazillion different things. Plus they have to then, you know, go out to eat with everybody and all this stuff. And, and it, the average expectation on a pastor from the congregation is that they'll put in 236 hours a week. Uh, and that's just not very functional. And so what needs to happen is people need to be empowered to be able to succeed without that killing them because many hands make light work. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. But if we, if we put all that on one person, then they, we're going to kill him. I've been there. I did live. If I was to do it again at this age, I would die. Don't want to do that. Uh, And I don't want to put other people in that position either. So if we start a campus church, that means we take care of the administration. We take care of the basic policies, bylaws, these sorts of things, the administrative pieces, a lot of the organizational pieces, and free people to minister in their community without having to do all that other stuff that they weren't really called to in the first place. That bogs everything down and takes them out. And so campuses, I believe, can be developed in small neighborhoods and rural communities and be wildly effective because the opportunities in these areas are fantastic. But the problem is they have to, you have to find an individual who's willing to do all those different things, have 20 different skill sets and do it for nothing. Really doesn't make a lot of sense. So if we develop a campus Network, we can empower people organizationally, administratively, and be able to give them the tools they need to actually be successful in ministering to their communities. And we are ready to go this fall with a campus in Morgan Park. We've got a campus pastor, we've got a core team from here in the church that live in Morgan Park, and we're ready to go. And I am thrilled to be at the place where we're starting that out because I am sick of watching small church, small community pastors burn out and quit. It, it just happens all the time. And we can prevent that and advance the kingdom of God if we have an outward focus rather than saying, come on, guys, let's build a bigger barn. We could build a new church or we could start 40 churches. Same cost. We could have started 16 with the cost of the building addition. We needed the addition. And we need campus pastors and communities and all that. The hardest thing isn't the money. I'm pretty excited about that. What do you need to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus? Boy, I'm way late. Sorry. You're the safe people. It's nine o'clock. What do you need to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus? Well, what did Jesus sacrifice to give you the chance? I'm going to take this communion uh, moment a little different direction.
Did you know that Jesus rose from the grave? His great, magnificent, profound sacrifice on the cross was a temporary sacrifice. He's not still on the cross. He's not still being ridiculed and mocked. He's not still being rejected. He is exalted. His sacrifice was temporary. And it's the same for us. Our sacrifice for him is temporary. We only have these moments to sacrifice our lives to Christ. Because this is fleeting. And it will be done. And we'll be in glory. It's temporary. Let's pray, receive communion together, and then I'll invite people up for personal prayer. We've got prayer teams. They'll come up at the same time. If you need personal prayer, come up and get prayer. But let's pray together, receive communion, and then uh, close the service and open up for personal prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy, and we, we come together now to do what you said, to Uh, to remember what Jesus has done on the cross, that we do not forget, that we do not get caught up in daily things and lose the big picture. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for sacrificing for us, for shedding your blood on the cross that we could be forgiven, for allowing your body to be broken so that we could be healed. But Lord, help us to know that you are not in that situation anymore. That sacrifice was temporary. And Lord, as we sacrifice, as we give our lives to you, as we take up daily our cross and follow you and give our lives to you, that that's how we find our life. That's how we find abundant life and everlasting life. And our sacrifice is temporary as well. Lord, help us to walk in that and live that joy. Thank you for what you've done. This is the body of Christ which was broken for you. Hallelujah. This is the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. You are so awesome. We love you. We give you praise. And I pray a blessing over each person that's in this place. Lord, I pray your peace would be upon us. Your love and joy would be in us. And Lord, that your love would overflow through us into this world. Lord, the harvest is plentiful. Let us share love with this world. In Jesus' name, amen.